Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am playing a Shadow Dark RPG campaign called The Gloaming based on Cursed Scroll 2. Shadow Dark RPG is published by the Arcane Library. They had a great big gangbuster Kickstarter late last year, early this year, I can't remember. And we have been running it for my group. It's been lots of fun. I've really enjoyed it. And a lot of these videos and the previous videos that I've done where I've done my prep, I've been talking about my experiences running Shadow Dark along with doing my prep for the Shadow Dark RPG. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to a dedicated Discord server, a monthly Q&A. The Hero Tier now gets access to a brand new podcast that's exclusive to Hero Tier subscribers to Patreon. They also, all patrons get access to things like Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, the City of Arches Sourcebook, a whole bunch of different material, a bunch of exclusive adventures, tons of stuff that you get for being a patron of Sly Flourish. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. So we have now had two full games. Yeah, so we've I've run four sessions of Shadow Dark at this point, and I've run two full sessions of Shadow Dark with level one characters kind of going through the dungeon. And I've been experiencing a lot of like what Shadow Dark is like, what I'm I, you know, and, and how my players like it and what's been going on. Very positive. We really, really like it. I'm enjoying it a lot. My players are enjoying it a lot. We all of us who are, you know, kind of, you know, of a certain, we're all of a certain age. And we all are remarking about how it feels like the old D&D. Like, wow, you really got to pay attention to what kind of rope you have from pythons and ropes, ropes and like crowbars and like the material in your character sheet. And God help you. Don't forget about the torch. Pay, Pay attention to your torch. Respect the torch. And it's been very interesting. Even players who really get into the mechanics of 5e seem to be fine with the rolling randomly for your ability scores. The one thing, if I could give you one thought that I have about it, and it's something that it occurred to me when I was kind of digging into the game, and it is certainly something that I've been paying more attention to now. And the feedback that I've been getting from these videos where I talk about my experiences with my style of GMing and how my style of GMing fits with or doesn't fit with the ethos of a system like Shadow Dark. The one thing that I think is under undersold or under 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 described about Shadow Dark, a, a thing that I think is really central to Shadow Dark that I don't really hear about. You don't read about it in the book so much. You don't hear about people talk about it is the the sheer randomness, the focus on randomness of the game. This game more than any other RPG I've played has a huge, puts a huge amount of weight on dice, on die rolling specifically for what happens in the game. In giving you examples of that, the... You don't, you don't generally pick a class. Like everyone's like, of course you pick a class. There's no, there's no random roll for a class, except when you're randomly rolling 3d6 down the line for your ability scores, you're essentially rolling a class because there are certain classes that are just not going to match up with whatever ability scores you picked. So that's one thing. The other thing is because all of the stats are, are much flatter because you're rolling 3d6 down the line. So you, your average ability score is, is 10 and you're really, it's very rare. I mean, like, a, you re-roll if you don't get at least one fourteen. So you're exceptional in one way, which I always thought was interesting, that for a game that has such a focus on randomness, they still have this idea of, like, well, if you don't roll a 14, you, you get to roll again. So you're exceptional among peers, among regular folk, because you re-roll if you, if you don't get at least a 14. You're exceptional at something. But that 14 may be your highest stat. And I've, I, we had we had a player who rolled one fourteen and a whole bunch of th- things like ten and below. <laughs> so you know their average is way low, and 
so because your ability bonus, your ability scores are are definitely lower than like what you would expect from 5e, where you're doing 46, drop the lowest, or you're doing something like a point by system, all your ability scores are lower. And because the ability scores are lower, that means you're relying more on, on the roll of the die as a value of success or failure. You might be minus one, you might be plus one, but you're not plus four and you don't add your proficiency. So you're never like plus seven on any roll. I don't think there's ever a time where you have like somebody that's like plus seven on a roll. And maybe some like level mo monsters above level 10 seem to have that. And maybe when you get to the higher tiers, but I, plus seven feels really high. And yet plus seven is not out of hand for a, for a fifth edition character when you're like at fifth level, I think, right? About fifth level, I think you can you could get to plus seven. So... There's a much heavier focus, but that, that focus is not in like just the ability bonuses and how that affects a D20 roll. And also the monsters are abbreviated to account for that. So you don't see monsters with crazy high hit point or crazy high armor classes because your ability bonuses are lower. But that same randomness fits in in other places too. You roll to determine whether or not your spells succeed. Now, luckily you only roll once. So it's kind of the equivalent of a saving throw or an attack roll. Only you could lose the spell if you, if you fail it, which is un, unlike 5th edition where you choose to burn up a spell slot or not. So there's randomness over there. There's, because all of the other, all of your damage is, does not use ability bonuses for damage, which means the swinginess of a D6 on a weapon attack is much higher when it's not like 1D6 plus 4, it's just 1D6. And hit points are abbreviated to match that as well, because when you're rolling your hit die, when you gain a level, you don't add your con bonus. I think you add it at first level, but you don't add it anywhere else, which means hit points are much reduced. So because all of the math is flattened way much, much more than even 5th edition, which was flattened from things like Pathfinder and from 4th edition and from 3rd third, third edition, which had scaling... You know, that, that scaled much, much higher. You'd get like, you know, it's not uncommon to have like a plus 23 on a, on a check when you're in high level, high level play. But the, the byproduct of flattening all of the math out is that the, the role matters much more significantly across the board. But then, and then I've had many people on YouTube comments who have been talking to me about this. The randomness doesn't stop there. You also roll for random encounters. You roll for the uh, attitude of those random encounters. You roll for the distance of those encounters. So you have all of these different variables that determine. It's like having no, new dials. The one interesting thing, and it, it, it is in the book. In the book, they talk about that you can roll the random hit points of the monster, but it has the average. So you could say if you have a level two monster, I, I don't know if you roll a D6 or a D8. But you, you can roll to see how many hit points individual monsters have, which is interesting. You could have beefier versions of monsters or, or weaker versions of monsters, depending on what you roll. That's not the default, though. It's one of the few places where they don't default to a, to a die roll instead of a static number. And, the, and the, hit points of a, the hit points of a monster are still the average. But it does talk about you don't have to use the average. You could instead use, you know, a, I think it's like a D8 per level to roll the hit points of a monster. But like when you're fighting 10 monsters, it's a pain to roll hit points for all the monsters. So I, I think when you put all of that together and oh, and there's randomness when you level up your character, right? When you level up a character, I think every other level you roll to determine what kind of new ability thing you get. You don't just pick it. So Shadow Dark, that comes back to that same conclusion that I had. Shadow Dark, more so than any other RPG I played, heavily emphasizes randomness as a driver for the game. Yeah, more so than any other game I've played. Like, it's really, really heavy onto randomness. Now, is that good or bad? That's up to you to decide. Do I mind it? Not really. Like, it means you have less control over the game, but that's kind of the design, right? You're not supposed to have control over the game. You're supposed to let the game kind of go whatever direction it goes. Characters die. Bad things happen. 
that's a little different than how I play, which I've talked about in the last episode where I talked about, well, where do I want to have my hands on this thing? I'm used to having a little bit of control over how the, the flow of the game. And I think that that having my hands on that game are important for things like pacing and flow and drive and, and, and you know, making sure that we're all having a good time. I think it's important to have certain elements where you can control that piece of it and letting go of those. Like, I don't want to have just one slog fight after another slog fight. I want to have, I want to be able to manipulate the beats. And that's different than, how a lot of people describe running Shadow Dark. So that's been very interesting. Scipio says, do the bonuses from good stats scale less than 5e? No, they don't. So, so picking an off stat class matters less. That's true. You could pick, you could pick a class where an off stat matters less, but I think very few people are going to do that. I think you know, if you roll a strength higher than 10 and an intelligence lower than 10, you're probably not going to pick a wizard. You could, but you know, I, I think you're, you're, you're definitely kind of going against the grain, I think, if you pick a class that doesn't that doesn't have sort of a supporting ability of sort of supporting ability bonus. But let's talk about the game that we've got going on right now. So we are three-ish sessions into this, and last time our characters went down into a dungeon. I think focusing on the dungeons, the dungeon aspect of this is something I'm very I'm very interested in. And so we had Shattered Tower of Marrow was the first location they went to. If you look at the map on the lower left, it's area 102. Right over here was the shattered tower that they went to is where I wanted to start them out. I wanted to have that sort of start central. Hey, here's where you go. Here's where things begin. And then let the game kind of expand outward. So they went to the shattered tower. They dealt with a bunch of bandits that were there, killed most of the bandits, met a, met a uh, dwarf who said, hey, there's a fancy idol down in the dungeon below. You should go down there and get it. It is both dangerous and powerful and valuable. And you should pick that thing up. And so they went down into the dungeons of Marrow, which I talked about. And we, we kind of did some prep for it last, last game. Let's see. Can I open this view original? So, and I can bring it up in my Albert Rodeo. So here is the dungeon. They went down into the area. Now oh, we had so much fun. Oh my God. And now I'm remembering it all. So they, they, they lurked around here and then they found this giant chamber here. And in the chamber, they saw a whole bunch of slaughtered cultists whose bodies had been burned together. But instead of being all just ash and bone, it was like weird pl oily stuff with faces that were like twisted together and they're like I saw this movie right like that thing's gonna come to life and they're very worried about it so they're worried about this big pile and then they found these graves with swords sticking out of them and one of the characters the priest went over and kind of blessed the graves and when he did so he felt this like sense of relief when he blessed these graves these are the, the graves of the green knights who were the knights that came here and slaughtered the cultists the, the cultists of marrow and they so then they bust it, and then one of the characters is like, I grab one of those swords. And they grab that, and they have like a nice longsword. And boy, getting a longsword, people are very happy to get longswords. And so a couple other people got longswords. And they're like, okay, that's good. And then they went over, and they're examining it. And they had, they met a kooky NPC who was one of the former bandits who was running around here. It was like, everybody else got killed by things in the shadows. I don't even know what happened to them. I wandered around. We saw a weird gate down here, this weird twisted gate. And we and I ran and then we got lost and then I ended up here and then I saw your lights and I came out here to shine the lights and they're like, oh, yeah. So they learned a little bit more about what the structure of the dungeon was like from this this former bandit. And then they 
And then they're like, oh, yeah. And one of the characters is like, yeah, you should, if you want some stuff, there's like some graves over there. You should go dig for the graves. And he's like, okay, I'll go do that. And he went outside of their light path because their light was only 30 feet. And they went outside the light path. And then he's like digging around and he starts screaming and he's like, ah. And then they see these little white lights for eyes that are shining out of the darkness. And they're like, uh oh. And they go over and there's three undead green knights standing there. And they're like, you took our swords, but we didn't say you could take the rest of our crap. And, and, and they're like, oh, man. And they had this, I forget, it was really fun conversation with them. But they ended up saying, if you bring our bones back to our castle, the old castle, I forget, there's a castle that they, the Green Knights had all come from. Bring our bones back to the castle. If you do so, we, we, will, we will bless upon you and you can have our fancy gear. And they all got three suits of chainmail armor on top of the, the, the swords as well. So they're like, oh yeah, and they put on that. Like, yeah, we'll totally take the bones. They put the bones into a put the bones into a big 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 bag dude's dead by the way the, the, the bandit but they didn't really like the bandits anyway but the dude got shredded by these knights because he didn't bless he didn't bless them so they said yeah we're gonna we're, we're, we're gonna go you know deeper in so they went and explained the one thing i would love to figure out with owlbear is and and we, we were kind of figuring it out is that having a movable light source that lets them that that we could like attach to the character so a character who has the light source can move it around with them to to see what the range of their current light is because just because they know what's behind them doesn't mean they can see it and seeing what they can see was important so we have this nice little yellow thing that we that we created which is the equivalent of torchlight the problem is in owlbear i don't know how to make that like a an object that's tied to a character there's, there doesn't seem to be a real easy way to make a shape that's tied to a specific character. I couldn't figure it out. And I also couldn't figure out how to get the light source to also take away the fog. And I'm not sure if there's a way to do it. I know other, you know, other VTTs have ways to do that. We just did it manually. And it, and it worked just fine. But it, I, bet, I bet you there's a way. And someday I'm going to spend some time and think about how to do that. So they went around. They met another back, back here in this, in this chamber. I rolled randomly to see what they found. And I think it was, I don't remember what I rolled. It was like a gnome or something like that. And I'm like, I'm going to make this another gnome cultist who's down here. And he's going to be one of the survivors of the original gnomes. And so he's down here and he's worshiping. You know, this this weird, broken, uh, you know, broken obelisk. He's kind of reciting a prayer to it. And the characters are talking to him and he's blind and he turns around and he's looking at them. And, you know, he's like, you know, you guys are I forget. He, he said some, you know, sinister stuff. And then he kind of churned into this weird, like tentacle, you know, marrowy bone protuberances broke out of his back and he started attacking them. I think their torch went out. And when it did, they heard his body transforming and they're like, oh my God, he's there. And they're like lighting the torch while the guy's chasing them down and, and, and killing them or not killing them, but, but attacking them. They defeated him. And then they went into the next chamber, which is the chamber that held the idol. The idol was in it. And they face another, another one of these, like the high priest was there and he turned into this big bobulous slime monster and thrashed at them. They defeated that and they saw the idol and the idol is sitting there and it's like this spined wolf-like twisted scaled beast with like, and I think the idea is when you hold it, it cuts you. I don't know what's going to happen with that. That may be something for us to figure out today. And, but they acquired it. And so I said, you guys, they, they discovered it. I, I said, like, you didn't acquire it yet, but everybody is going to get three experience points for this. They also were getting experience points for picking up, like, the treasure from the, from the undead knights. And they got experience from, I think they got experience from another piece of treasure that they found. So 
the characters that have been playing all along are now having how now have enough experience points to get to level two and they're very eager to like let's get this idol and gtfo and get back to the village and go on some debauchery and then and then we'll come back and we'll deal with whatever the hell else is down here or we'll go somewhere else so they haven't gotten to the whole rest of the dungeon yet and as you can see there's like a good half of this dungeon they haven't come to yet and it might be kind of fun if they don't right it might be fun either if they don't go back or if they come back later or you know if they if they come back sooner they them not knowing what else remains in this dungeon is actually kind of a fun a fun a fun effect of the idea of like let's let's leave this place now when they leave they still might trigger random encounters as they're moving through we'll, we'll kind of have round around as they as they move through the dungeon on the way back out with their torches lit it's still dangerous and they could still they could still run into run into things. I think I have some inhabitants. There's still some spiders in here. There's some edder caps. I have spider swarms. They ran it. They already ran into the undead green knight skeletons. So I'll probably not do that. They might. They could run into some oozes. That wouldn't be so bad. Giant spiders and edder cap plus giant spiders. They ran. They, when I rolled randomly, I got the six, and that was the the lost redthorn bandit. So we will probably not. It will either replace that monster with something else for the random encounter table or you know you could just roll again on a six or something like that so really fun that's 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 where they've gotten they're they're enjoying the exploration around the around the dungeon they are on top of things like keeping track of the light sources keeping track of rounds that it's getting smoother it took me i, I mentioned last time that i felt like there was a fair bit of extra bookkeeping for keeping track of rounds and keeping track of lighting it's not real terrible and it is a fun it's a fun part of the game like it's a it's a fun and important thing to do but it's very easy to have players who jump out of initiative and start doing things and you have to kind of stop them and say actually let's see what joe wants to do right you have to kind of go back so that's something interesting but let's talk about our game today and what we plan on so we're going to generate a new session planning template as always i'm using notion to do my campaign planning you can learn more about notion in the show notes and we created a new session here and our date today is 10 September. I don't know. I have no idea which players are showing up today. Uh, a bunch of people are out. We only ran with three. So we had one player who was brand new and started off with a first level character. He actually picked the bandit who had blocked the door. We said, why don't you kind of pretend that we'll just sort of morph that character into your character. And so he's now the one that's like, hey, this guy saved my life and I'm now going to hang out with him. So there's like a fun debt. Let's see. I, I think I have some. Yeah, that's Varro. So we have Bug Juice. Buckminster Bohannon, a dwarf wizard adept, uh, was not at the last game, was a former wolf child, touch cowardly. So he wasn't there. So he's not, he, he will get the experience from the idol. Whoever showed up both last time and this time, anybody that showed up last time and anybody that showed up this time is going to get the experience for the idol. Anybody that missed it completely will not. And I don't know how that's going to work because I have like a player who's out for like three weeks and they're going to come back and be like first level and everybody else will be third and that'll kind of suck, but we'll figure it out. We have Sirwin, Elf Priest Seeker. Outcast came to the gloaming looking for a new community. Uh, Priest of Getty, the Elf God, seeking a new community. A little rough between sources of bathing. Daisy, a Goblin Elf Thug, who is... Daisy is... One of the players is out for a while. Morgan Nightweaver, the Elf Warlock, who worships Shun the Vile, was not there last time. Hopefully, will be here this time. Thalos, the Dwarven Priest Healer, who really wants the world to be a better place, and is doing so, saving it one bandit at a time. Saved Varro. And then we have Varro, who is the half-orc fighter, who, the half-orc fighter who held the door. So those are the characters that we've got. Six characters, but we'll see. And I'll tell you, it ran fine with three. It was really fun. We all had a good time. Having three players was perfectly fine right it was very i don't 
because again, because the math is so streamlined and on the assumption they don't face like seven or eight dudes facing, having three characters was not, was not a detriment. It was lots of fun. We all had a lot of laughs. They got a lot done because the, the rotation of things happened really quickly. So we, we liked that a lot. It was, it was perfectly, it was perfectly fine with three twos, probably a little too few. I think I would probably hold the game off with two. So the idol, the idol of Un- Undaluk is the creature beneath this tower. So we have the idol of Undaluk, which is like this spined, wolf-headed, scaled horror. And it sits upon an idol. Is the idol trapped? I don't know. Pro- I mean, probably it would be, wouldn't it? Like this is pure Indiana Jones sort of stuff. And I think Shadow Dark has, let's see, traps. Add peril and surprise to crawling. Characters typically get to make a relevant stat check to avoid a trap's effects. Traps should have a hint or a tell. Be careful not to make uh, traps too frequent or the game pace suffers. Yes. Finding characters to search a specific or an object disabling. So we could roll on this, right? Getting back to like randomness and say like, what are the kinds of things that happen because of this trap? I already have a trigger though. I don't need to roll for a trigger because I know that it's going to be like, I mean, I don't know. It might be fun. I like again, and then I might, might swing in the deck. It might be fun to have two traps, right? I always like to stack a couple of traps because I think that's kind of interesting. And I think that this would be one again, like think about the idol in Indiana Jones. You had the floor plates and you had the pedestal and they were traps separate and they did different things. It's actually the whole place is like full of traps because it wasn't, I guess the tarantulas are kind of like monsters. So the trap will be three toxic gas. That's good. And the, so is the, and I guess the damage or effect is 1d6 and blind. So let's go back here. But let's see what the trigger is for a switch or a button. So maybe it's sitting upon, instead of the pedestal, like weight being an issue, it is sitting on a switch. You lift it up and a thing will pop up and, and poison gas flows at the bottom. Right, that that works, right? A, and I think it's so. The book said that characters get to make a relevant stat check to avoid the effects. That would probably be a con, right? A con check, and it is probably what are the three? What are the three degrees? It's probably the second degree. What page is my on here? Page one eighteen. I thought that was a. Where's the DM screen? I thought there's more. Where's the I'm kind of surprised that the DM screen does not have the weapons over. There it is, DC 9. So it's probably a DC 12, right? I think that it is a normal difficulty. So I think it is going to be a normal difficulty, which is DC 12 uh, con check to avoid the gas. How long does the blind last? It doesn't say. I guess we'll do like 1D4 rounds. So let's do another trap. Let's be protected with two traps is five a rolling oh that's too i can't do a rolling boulder that's too much like indiana jones i gotta do something else two hail of needles that's also like indiana jones but i can live with that one that is triggered by triggered by casting a spell that can be kind of interesting and the effect on it is two 1d6 and sleep casting a spell causes a hail of needles to fill the chamber these would be dexterity so I think that's, so we have a nice fun trapped chamber here. Could the, I think the gas, it's possible that it also extinguishes light. Uh, I don't think we'll dork with the light. I think that's good enough. 
so that's the start. So recovering the idol of Underluck is the first scene. Then, th then it's a choice: Ex continue exploring, probably not, or return to town, probably. So then they make their way back out. We will probably do a bunch of jumps of those group checks as they're making their way through. You know that they'll be kind of double double moving back through the dungeon. And we'll make a couple of checks to see if they get jumped by something on the way. So then we go to hex hex exploration because we don't just jump straight back to town. And they'll be so they're going back to 307. There's a road nearby, so they could go by the road. 203 is on the way, so they might run into that. What is 203? The marker stone. A tall pointed stone bears an ancient mark in a spiral shape. In the earth beneath it, four white lion stone coffin. Each has a different gemstone and sewn mouth shot a pearl, an emerald, a ruby, and a sapphire. Sliding these gems into four worn grooves at each of the cardinal points in the marker stone opens a magical portal to the Fey realm. So they could they could see that as they're making their way back. They probably because they got to this tower, they probably know that there is that road nearby. But it's worth I don't know how hex how hex crawling works. Overland hex maps. To begin to overland hex, I know what that is. Each time the character moves into an empty hex, roll on the new hex table. Except I already know what they are, right? I already have these. So it's more about what the hex, it's more about how you manage running a hex. Navigation. PCs in familiar territory must have their navigator make an int check upon exiting a hex. On a failure, the group moves to the next hex. They can move, let's see, can travel eight hours a day. They must increase their contracts. How, how big is a hex? That's a good question. So let's see. Let's, let's go through this here. Make an in check, but they don't because it is going to be familiar territory. On a failure, the group moves to the random adjacent next hex. Hexes are six miles across. Okay. And they can cover crossing hexes. Walking takes four hours. They can travel for eight hours a day. So they can cover two hexes. This is handy. They can travel for up to eight hours a day. They must pass increased con checks to push further. Hexes are six miles across. Walking, they can cover one in four hours. So they can cross two hexes per day, and then they take a rest. And then, and then you use the, we have the, the hex stuff here. Okay, and that's it. But they have the, the, the random encounters that you roll for. We have to determine how often you roll for a random encounter. Whoops, I'm on the wrong, wrong page here. Random encounters. GM checks for random encounters during a crawling, during crawling rounds, not combat, based on the environment's danger level. Hot. Got hot in here. I have to turn my fan on. Very, very humid. For overland travel, check for random encounters based on hours in 90 for overland travel details. Let's go to 90. We're learning together. This is what I looked at. Damn. This is the same page I was at. There was also a, where did, I, where did I see it? For overland travel, check for random encounters based on hours in place of rounds. But I saw, there was a place where you, you, you rolled in for hours instead of rounds. But where was that? Damn it, I remember seeing it. Because this is for crawling. Go back to page 90. Because we, we figured it out. We were using it last time. I just got to remember where to find it. There we go. Turns in time. The game moves in initiative order as normal while traveling overland, and groups often travel in chunks that comprise several hours. Use the time passes rules as needed. Check for random encounters using the following cadence during overland travel. Unsafe every three hours. Risky every two hours. Deadly every, every hour. You can travel how far? 
They can travel eight hours a day. They can cover four hours. So I'm going to have to divide it by three. <laughs> like, why doesn't it, why isn't it every four hours? Because <laughs> now I got to divide it, right? So they can, they, they move a hex. We roll a check. They move another hex. I roll, I'm going to just do it once per, you know, per hex. If you're walking through a hex, we make one check. And the game was time password for random encounters use the following, unsafe. But I thought he rolled and it was like a 50, was it a 50-50 shot? No, I guess it wasn't. We were saying that basically you were going to roll once every two hours, or it meant you were going to roll four times if somebody was going to rest in a risky place. An unsafe place, you're only checking twice to see. So there's only like a two and six chance that you're going to have a random encounter during a, if you're resting in an unsafe place. But they are sleeping. So they, they travel for eight hours. That gets them two hexes. Then they... Then they rest, that's eight hours. And so we check twice. So they're gonna run into something during this time, almost certainly. And then they travel for another two hours and then they, you know, then they rest outside of town and then they get into town. So it's gonna be like a couple nights for them to get from the ruined tower to to the town. So that'll be a, that'll be something for us to learn learn about. Hex exploration on the way back to the town. And I forget the town's name. Wardenwood. Uh, then we have downtime, right? Where they spend their their hard-earned cash. They have to decide what they want to do with the idol. Do they want to sell it? Do they want to... Like, what's their plan? Do they want to hang on to it to use it to close the portals? Do they want to sell it? Give it, you know, give it to somebody else? And then where to head next? And their options are... So I think we came up with some options last time. And we're just going to steal these. We're going to do a lot of stealing from the, the, the past. Investigate the Redthorn Outlaw Camp. Why do they want the idol? Visit Drusilla's hut to learn more about the idol. Visit the Stone Circle to commune with the gods. And with that, I, I wrote new quest. Is that a new quest that they'd receive? Or Danelle Courant knows of an even greater treasure in Bitter Mold Keep. We want to get them to Bitter Mold Keep. Where is Bitter Mold Keep? Oh man, I went the wrong way. Yeah, it's far, right? It's a big old journey. I could, they could go by boat. Maybe that would work. They'd take a boat across. They could, they could make, they could make it across Bittermold Keep, or they could take the long road. There's no, there's no good passageway there, so that could be an option. But Bittermold Keep, I think I want to, I want to kind of, you know, push them towards that. So they have a few different options of of what they could do. That was last week. What's what's secret? So long ago, Cult of Blackmire worshipped a powerful creature called Undaluck between this tower. They learned that. The Green Knights, the predecessors of the Knights of St. Idris, sacked the tower and put the Maracult to the Sword and Torch. Yes, they learned that. Maracultists were shapeshifters like the thing. Yes, they learned that. Undaluck is a powerful creature drawn from an unholy realm called Marrow. Yes, they learned that. The world of Marrow is bleeding into this world. You can smell it in the air and feel it in the deep roots of the Marrow trees. I'm going to hang on to that one. Marrow cult didn't just burn, they melted. Their bodies are different than mortals. They learned that. More of more than one unholy influence curses the gloaming. It is a land cursed by four foul gods. Undaluk, the marrow fiend, the primordial ooze mug lubdub, the willow man, the murderous guardian fae, and Saint Yidris, the cursed saint. They did learn that, but I'm going to hang on to that one because the names they didn't learn. The marrow cultists opened the gateway to marrow. Though the green knights attempted to close the gate, it remains open like a festering wound. They learned that. The idol is the key to the marrow gates. It can be used to both open and close them. Yes. Three gates exist. One in the ruins of marrow, one in the grandfather tree in the bandit camp, and one in the gate of Almazat in the wolf caves near the corrupted henge. They did not learn that. 
The world of Marrow is the home of Almazat, the wolf-headed archdemon with six eyes and six horns. Almazat seeks to wrest the sands of the ages from his father, Kytheros. I stole that from the, the lore. So I have four secrets that I'm going to bring forward. And we're going to put those in my secrets and clues. And I need a couple other secrets. And those secrets uh, include that the people of Willow, what's it called? I'm never going to remember this name. Wardenwood are sick. They depend on Drusilla for, cure, for poultices and oil, essential oils to keep the sickness at bay. Drusilla seeks to commune with nature out on her own. She doesn't like living near folk. But the reality is, is that Drusilla is the very one poisoning Wardenwood through a corruption of their well. Great caverns, large caverns, exist beneath the well of Wardenwood. It's from here that the people of Wardenwood are being poisoned. That's a fun secret. Drusilla, I think, let's take a look at the cursed scroll about what it says about Drusilla. I don't think it says much. She's a wheeled hag who impersonates a shy medicine woman. She's gaining the trust of the residents of nearby Wardenwood by nursing the villagers back to health whom she's secretly poisoned. Drizilla is, is forming a plot with the werewolf Victoria to begin turning the village's uh, children into werewolf cubs. I think some a more, more fun might be something that I'm going to add in here is using, is working the forces of Underluck and Mug, Mugdalblub against one another. She poisons the people of Wardenwood with the curse of Mug, Mugdalblub, right? I think she might be turning them into like ooze people. We, we have a lot of ooze people, but the other ones are like bony marrow people. The ooze people are different. The people of Wardenwood are turning into ooze people, their skin becoming transparent and Two, four, six, eight, ten. Perfect. That's enough. That's all I need. Locations. So I don't have a, I don't have a village. Like, let's see. I don't have like a village map. I don't know if I'll worry about a village map. Let's see what the book has to say about Warden Wood. We can just paste it right in. Check out some magic. Get rid of the extra line breaks in the paragraph above. Oh, look at that. Thank you. Thank you. Artificial intelligence. Oh, what did that just do? That was not what I wanted. Why did it do that? There we go. So I have a nice description. What we don't have is I need an inn. I need a tavern. I need a weaponsmith, a smithy. Uh, I need a shady vendor. I need, what else do we need? Uh, a temple or shrine. And it'll be a shrine to whatever the character's god is. Maybe a couple of them. Is there any... Oh, so we, we have the, like, this, if there's people that, like, want to talk to, like, wizards. I, do we have, I don't think we have, do, do we have a wizard? But one of the things they may learn, one of the things they may learn is that, is about the, there's a wizard tower nearby. Let's go to Curse Scroll. There was an elf sorcerer, Haldrin. The elf sorcerer, Haldrin, used to visit Wardenwood with strange magical items and spells and stuff, but he hasn't been around for months. 
he operates out of Haldren's Tower. And Haldren's Tower is at 905. Yeah. Out on Finmir Lake. Cool. So that's another little quest. So I've got a lot going on. So and we have another location that we're gonna create called the Caverns of Wardenwood, of the Wardenwood Well. And we can grab a Dyson map for this. Go to Dyson, we go to maps. I don't know if this is where they're gonna go, but you know, grabbing a map is easy. Ah, that looks familiar. I just used that one. So we we need natural caverns. Is this all the maps? This is all the maps. This one's a fun one for those standing stones. The maw. That's pretty cool. I dig that one a lot. So I'm looking for small natural caverns. Nothing too, nothing too great. It's so funny because I, I scroll through these. I need I need them to come back in random order because I I grab the first one that's there. So this one's pretty good. It's big. Eh, it's kind of fun. I kind of like it. It's big, but so what? Big is big is fine. And I'm just gonna convert this. Let's see. Adjust size. I'll make it. F it's fourteen thousand pixels wide. We'll make it four thousand pixels wide. And then we're gonna export it to a JPEG because some of the VTTs and things like that. There we go. We got ourselves a map. So I think the idea is the well goes right down into that lake right, right in the center and it flows in from that river to the north. But I think Drusilla has poisoned it up upstream. So if they follow it upstream, they'll find remnants of her having poisoned this place. But there's also like weird things down here, old crypts and other things to explore. You know, they'll see like, hey, there's like ancient pillars here to something. And, you know, it could be other things for them to, to, to kind of explore and discover if they want to dig into these tunnels. I think they could I think they could discover a whole lot of stuff. So so that's so that's pretty good. We will mark this. Oh, I already marked it as current. OK, what else do I need? So we know I rather than making a map, I need some in names. I'm going to I'm going to cheat here and 10 names for ins of Wardenwood include the proprietor. See what it gives me. The Golden Stag, the Rusty Axe. These are good. I like the Merry Minstrel. The Melody Songbird is the Merry Minstrel. That's great. The Rusty Axe makes for a good smithy. The tavern, the howling wolf, Rolf Moonshadow. My my character has a. All right, so who were the? That worked really well. Thank you, ChatGPT. We're all going to go to hell because of ChatGPT. So the characters. So we want to have an altar to Saint Teragnus, and we want. So we have Saint Teragnus, but we had another one, of Getty the Elf God. That's probably outside, and it's probably older. This should be sorted by, there we go. Give me 10 names for shady magic item vendors, including strange appearances and mannerisms. Zoltar the Hunched, who always wear cloaks. Morgan the Magnificent. Gideon the Grotesque, whose face is twisted into a permanent sneer and wears a mask to hide his deformity, speaking in a high-pitched voice. Mortimer the Mystic. Esmeralda the Enchantress. Lucian the Lurker. Ophelia the Occultist. That's kind of fun. Except we already have like the witch lady. I don't know. Griselda the Grim again. I don't know if these grab me. I'll go with Gideon. Gideon the Grotesque. Cool. All right. So I've got my notable locations. 
I've got in a tavern, a smithy, a shady vendor, a shrine, a shrines. Is there any other locations? If we, the easy way is to kind of go through. When I think about what locations you want your 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 villages to have and stuff like that, your towns and villages, I like to go look at the characters and say who would they want. So bug juice, dwarf wizard adept. Would they have a particular place they want to go? Maybe that elf shrine might be an interesting. So when the elf seeker has the elf shrine, Daisy isn't going to be there. I don't have to worry about that. Morgan, Nightweaver, Shun the Vile, mother of which might want to talk to the witch lady. Thalos has a has a, a shrine, and Varro could could head to any of those places. So I think, I think all those are. I think the locations I've got are all good. All right, let's do a quick review. Let's see what I've got. So I've got a nice strong start. We're starting in the dungeon. They recover the idol. They go ex exploration. Probably not. They return. We double move back. We do the exploration back to town. They get to Wardenwood. What do they want to do with the idol? And what are their options for the next adventures? I've got a pile of secrets for them to discover that I, they could learn along the way. We have the caverns of the Wardenwood and Wardenwood Well in case they want to go down there. We have the village has some places for it. The runes of Marrow, they're already in. The Shattered Tower of Marrow. We could probably pull that off current. It doesn't really matter. Some NPCs. We have, we have some in the village that I, I haven't added. We also have the Wardenwood Elder is there and Lovestruck Dwarf. Varro is now a character. So we no longer have to have Varro as, a, as an NPC. So that's good. And that is where we got. So Lazy Encounter Benchmark we don't need because that's not how this works. Shadow Dark's encounter building, by the way, is awesome. It's basically monsters have levels, characters have levels, and they're equivalent. So, however, you can add up all the total character levels, and that's the total monster levels that would be, you know, a challenge. And then higher than that, it'd be dangerous. Treasure, we have the idol. We can always roll for other treasure. There's, there's, other, there's other options for treasure. So I don't really need to have a separate treasure thing. So we are all set. Awesome. Friends, I want to thank you for hanging out with me today while I prepared for my Shadow Dark gloaming adventure. If you enjoyed this show and you like this kind of stuff, the best way to see the work that I do is to subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You get a free Adventure Generator PDF for signing up. It's absolutely free to do so, but you also get a weekly RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox, which has links to all of the other stuff that I do, so you won't miss any of the things that I do. It's all available on those weekly newsletters. You can also support me directly on Patreon. You get access to Varch's source book, a dedicated Discord server, dedicated monthly Q&A, a whole bunch of exclusive adventures, a whole bunch of material to help you run your games. It's really, really, really good deal. There's also the new at Hero Tier and above. If you join at the Hero Tier, you get another weekly podcast where I take a article from Sly Flourish, read through it, talk about what was going on when I was writing it, talk about where it came from, kind of give an extended view of each of the Sly Flourish articles. It's a very short podcast, about 10, 12 minutes long, once a week. Really a lot of fun to do. Really a lot of people have been enjoying that. And you can pick up any of my books, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, Lazy DM's Workbook, and The Lazy DM's Companion, and soon Forge of Foes, all available in the Sly Flourish bookstore. Please check that out. All the links are in the show notes. Thank you all so much. Have a great day, and get out there and play an RPG.